If you are like any one of many other millions and millions and millions of people, you will be turned tuned this afternoon to a particular station, and you will be watching, if you get there on time, as some of the largest bodied human beings that God ever created burst out of the doors of a locker room, rush down a tunnel, and out onto the field of play. I want you to imagine that you're actually there, not just watching it on your television screens, but physically present in that place as those players come stampeding out of the tunnel. I want you to picture yourself stepping out in front of that stampede (laughs) with a microphone in your hand, and you put the microphone in the face of the very first player that gets to you, and with great excitement you ask, so how was your time in the locker room? What do you think the response is likely to be? Well, if the player doesn't just smack the microphone out of your hand and run you down, I'm going to guess that you're going to see a look of confusion on the player's face. For the simple reason that the last thing that is on his mind or that of any of his colleagues or anyone else coming out of the tunnel on the other side is what just happened for them back in that room. The last thing they're going to be thinking about is what it felt like to be lying on that training table or warming up on those weights or or sitting in the sits bath. There's only one thing on the mind of those particular players as they enter that field and that is it's game time now. It's game time. This is what we live for. This, I want to suggest to you, is a helpful reminder also of how Christians are meant to look at their experience in life. Christians are meant to be persons who deeply value what they experience in the locker room. This is where we are right now, in case you were wondering. We're in the locker room. We're in the place of preparation. When we come together to worship God and glorify Him, when we come to study the Scriptures together or to go to our Bible classes, when we gather in these ways, it's, it's beautiful and wonderful in and of itself, but it is fundamentally an act of preparation for our larger purpose. Simply going to worship or attending a Uh, Bible study is not Christianity in the very fullest sense of that word. It is a preparation for the greater goal of going out onto the field of life to live for the glory of God and for the blessing of other people. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, then you know that this is what we've been talking about in this series on everyday Christianity. We've been trying to think together about how it is that we live for Jesus in the everyday context of our life. We've been looking at at a couple of specific kinds of contexts in particular. My colleagues have been exploring what it means to live for Jesus around the table. That might be the boardroom table in your workplace. It might be the table in your home. It might be the table at Starbucks. But what does it mean to live as a people of community around the table of life? And then last week we explored what it looks like to live for Christ around the screens, the ubiquitous screens and media of our age. How do we enter into that kind of an environment and work with those kinds of tools in a way that's honoring to God 
and furthering of his purposes. My goal today is to go one more step, to wrap up the series and think with you about what it is to live for Jesus at the doorways of life, at the divine doorways, as I'm going to call them, of life. Maybe you've noticed that the Bible talks quite a bit about doors. Uh, If you go back to your Old Testament, you will see a great deal of attention is given to the description of the doorway of the ark and of the people appointed to guard that doorway. Uh, We hear description of the doorway of the temple. We see descriptions of the gates and the doorways of the holy city of, of Jerusalem. At one point, the psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Just think of how many of the psalms talk about uh, doors and gates as symbols, in a sense, of the larger portals through which God moves and we move in life. In the Gospels, Jesus goes on and tells his own disciples that they are to be as watchful for what God will do right in front of them, as watchful for God's movement in the world as servants should be as they stand at the door waiting for the return of their master. Uh, And in the book of Revelation, Jesus says that he stands at the door of human lives, that, that he's there knocking at the door of human lives, waiting to see what they will do at that doorway to respond to his invitation to a life together. From a biblical viewpoint, doorways are not merely architectural structures. I'm reminded of that often. My wife is an interior designer. She works in an architectural firm. She thinks a lot about doorways and their significance. Uh, She designs these portals that are meant to embody something of the character of of the corporation or the entity that she's trying to represent. And similarly, in the Bible, doorways are not merely frames, but rather spiritually significant entryways. They are sacred thresholds in a sense. Doorways are these places that we're meant to pause at, uh, to reflect at, to consider who we are and whose we are and where we're going and where we've been and what mindset we need as we move now through that threshold to the next place. Doorways are of sacred significance in the Bible's understanding. They are, in fact, what Barbara Brown Taylor calls altars in the world. They are these places where we are meant to grow in self-awareness, God-awareness, other-awareness, and be changed by that reflection. Now, one of the most famous ways or pictures we get of this idea is found in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Uh, You probably know this passage well. It's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses is talking uh, to the people of God. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and strength. For these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts In other words, they are to affect your will, your action, the way you move through life. Impress them on your children, says Moses. And then a little further along, he writes this. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Write these commandments right there on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. 
Now, this is a commandment, interestingly, that many Jewish people keep to this day. I was, years ago, I would be going door to door for my father and his political campaigns, and we would work our way through Jewish neighborhoods or apartment buildings where there were many Jewish people, and I would notice on the, right at the door frame of the house, there was a little metal box. And, and it was a tiny little box, and I wondered, what's in that box? And I would ask now and then, what's in the box? And one of these kind Jewish folks said to me that in the box are, are the words of Scripture. We keep a tiny little rolled up uh, segment of the Torah, of the, the law of God in there, in obedience to the command of God, that we keep his word at the threshold of our home. Why would they do that? Why would people write the commandments of God in the doorways and the frames of their, of their gates? It is, I think, for the simple reason that if they're right there, there's much greater likelihood that they'll be seen as we make our transit from one place to another. There's much greater opportunity that someone in reading God's word might just move then into the next space on their life's journey, governed by that word, its vision, its values, rather than by the anxieties and the ambitions and the compulsivities and the fears and the, the, the hurts, the unconscious soundtrack that runs our life so much of the time. And that's what I want to invite you to do. That's what this message really is going to be about today. I want to encourage you to pause and reflect when you find yourself at the doorway. One of three different kinds of doorways that you're going to encounter uh, over the course of this week ahead. The first one I, I suggested a little bit earlier. It's what, I, it's what I call the locker room door. The locker room door. The locker room door is any uh, doorway that separates the place of training from the place of action. The doorway is any uh, threshold between the place where you train for and talk about the Christian life and the place where you actually live out that life. Uh, it, it might be for you the doorway of your house. It might be that place you're, you have a quiet time in the morning, you you have prayed, you've studied God's word, and now you're heading on out into the activities of the day. That's the locker room door for you. Uh, for, for, for most of us today, it is the, the doorways that you'll push against as you head out of the building today. You've been here this morning in the locker room, and you will be heading out now onto the field of life. One of the locker room doors for me is hung at the exit of the uh, corner bakery uh, coffee shop in Hinsdale. I was there just this past Friday. I meet on Fridays with a group of men to study God's word and pray for each other and encourage each other. And it's a wonderful time of fellowship each and every week. I always feel as I get up from that table, this deeper sense of peace, a greater sense of clarity about what I want my life to be about as I head out into the various spheres of that life. And uh, I so often will just sort of blitz my way through the locker room doorway in a sense and out onto that field. I'm just convinced that I'm ready to go. And then within moments, the hits start coming my way. I just start getting pummeled by life. I, I, I will be, I'll go out that door. It'll be suddenly cold. I'll get into my car. 
Uh, I'll have to wait for the traffic that's going by. I'll be looking at my watch, realizing I stayed a little bit too long with the guys in the coffee shop, and now I'm going to be late for my appointment. And I turn the corner, and a freight train is crossing the tracks at Hinsdale. And that peace of mind I had a moment ago evaporates, and my blood pressure spikes up, and I'm saying things, I'm saying things to God that are not pure-hearted any longer. You know, I'm feeling really frustrated as, I, as I'm sitting there now angry and upset that the day is not going the way I expected the day to go. And, and then I look at my phone because I've got time. I'm sitting there. I look at my phone and there are texts coming in and there are emails coming in. There are people that want me to do stuff. And I already have stuff to do. I, I've got to finish the sermon. I've got to get ready for the weekend. I maybe have an elders meeting the next day or a wedding the next afternoon. I can't believe the stuff that's piling up. And I'm starting to get really, really anxious or depressed. And by the time I even hit the office, you know, I'm in a very different kind of place than I was back in the locker room. I'm just, I've just been pummeled so many different ways. I'm like a high school halfback facing an NFL defense And I'm bruised and I'm battered and it affects me in ways that affect other people. It affects my my health and my relationships with other people. And I feel like I'm just losing yardage to the enemy's team. So I got to thinking recently, maybe I'm missing a step of preparation as I head out those doors. I mean, maybe what I really need to do is take Paul's advice here much more seriously as he speaks to the Colossians in chapter 4. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Prayer is the act of aligning ourselves to God. Devote yourself to that. Being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and and thankful. So here's what I'm wondering. What if I, this week, as I'm preparing to go out through the locker room doors, suppose I get to the door, and, and, I, and just the act of, about, of putting my hand on, that, on the handle stops me, and I pull back, and I just step aside and let the stampede pass, and I just use the moment as an opportunity to bow my head. And this is my prayer, something like this. God, I expect that the conditions out there on the field are not going to be easy. Because life is challenging to begin with. I know that. You've told us in this world we will struggle, we will suffer. But to be brave because you have overcome that world. So Lord, I'm going to expect the hits that are going to come my way. Um, I know there's an opponent out there who would love to get me all off my game. Self-pitying, depressed, angry. I know that. So here's what I'm going to do. Lord, I'm going to be watchful. I'm going to expect the hits. (laughs) I'm going to be looking for those things that will test me. And when those hits come, I'm going to smile because I'm going to say, God, this is what I've been training for. Lord, this is what you have been preparing me for. This is where I get to really practice my faith. And I'm going to be thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to do that. I'm going to be thankful, God, that there is nothing that I'm going to face today that I cannot face with you 
inside of me, at work within me. I'm going to remember that wonderful text of Scripture, that marvelous Word of God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What if you and I paused at the doorway of the locker room this week and we just offered that kind of a prayer? What if we just paused as we touched that handle and remembered that promise of God that we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength? Could that make any kind of a difference in our comings and goings? Would that alter in any way our experience of the hits that we took when we got out there on the field? When I was... um, 31 years old, I became senior pastor of a church for the first time. I uh, moved from Northern California to Southern California and became the senior, actually the solo pastor of a, of a little church uh, in North County, San Diego. And uh, over the next several years, I, I threw myself into that job with as much gusto as any 30-ish person does uh, with their first really major career opportunity in a sense. I just gave it everything and we uh, developed program, we added staff, we purchased land, we built buildings, we just, we, the church just became a very, very vibrant uh, circle, and I was just so engaged in this. It was just the most thrilling, we were having children, it, it was just one of the most thrilling seasons of my life. I remember um, going into the office one day, I remember opening the door of the uh, church office, it was a, this dark green door, And I walked in, and I could feel this tension in the air of that place. Uh, You could cut it with a knife. And and I realized, you know, I'd been feeling this tension building for some time. Um, This was not new. This had been growing, this atmosphere that I could feel. And I knew there was something terribly wrong (laughs) in this environment. So I went to my assistant. Her name was Roxy. Isn't that a great name for an assistant? Roxy. And I, I, I asked Roxy to sit down with me. And I said, Roxy, there's something not good in the office. This whole climate is bad. And it's been getting worse for, for like weeks. I've noticed it. I mean, like, is there some kind of caddy infighting going on between some of the staff members? Or have some of the members of the church been, you know, rude or overly demanding? And, and the staff is on edge. I mean, it's, this is not good. What's going on? And she said, you want to know? And I said, yeah. She said, you really want to know? And I said, yeah, we got to fix this. we got to fix this. And she said, it's you. You're the problem. You come sweeping through that door like a holy tornado. Right? You're all buzzing with all the stuff that has to be done. And you move through a room. You should look behind you sometimes. There's a flurry of papers behind you in the air. As you move through spaces. And the whole staff, they want to please you. They like you. They want to have you feel good. But you know what? They can't keep up. They're just human beings. And they just don't know how to tell you that you're wearing them down. So I just sat there. I I didn't know what to say. Because... There was this awful, painful ring of truth to everything that Roxy was saying. 
Because in that deep, deep part of myself where I occasionally get ruthlessly honest with myself, I, I knew, actually, that, that a personal ambition intertwined all of my aspirations for the ministry. I knew there was a compulsivity in me, you know, born of trying to, I guess, to please all the authority figures in my life. I knew there was just this part that was not really God-driven about me and that it was likely affecting uh, the way I moved through the world. And, and the people I was working with were, in a sense, coming to feel like extensions of me. And it wasn't just in the workplace. I could see this happening in my house. I was treating the people in my life as if they were sort of prosthetics, as if they could just extend my influence and extend my, my, my personal wishes instead of seeing them as independent beings, precious souls, people that God is working with in a way that may not be the same way as he's working with me. And, and the words of Paul in our scripture lesson for today, if I had known them then, if I would thought of them then, would have been particularly apropos to me in that particular moment. The apostle writes in Colossians 4 and verse 5, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And in this particular text, Paul is talking about outsiders in terms of non-believers. But I think the application is relevant to us also in the sense of a remembrance that people are outsiders to us. They're not extensions of our wishes, our whims, our will, our ambitions, our anxieties. They are separate, unique creations of God. And we need wisdom in in remembering that and in treating people along life's way. In the following weeks, I I taught myself uh, a lesson which was actually the, the prompting for the decision to preach on this particular topic. I taught myself when I got to that green door of the office place and and before I put my hand on the handle that I taught myself to stop and nobody would see me. I would just bow my head. I would take 10 seconds. I would purposely try and slow my heart rate and my breathing and all the clamoring of what had just been going on for me and I was about to bring into that space and I would say, God, slow down the tornado, please. Help me to walk here into this space with peace in my heart, with love for these people. Give me eyes to see them and not my ambitions. Slow me down, Lord. And I just taught myself to do that. I still need to offer that prayer more often. I need to offer it when I come into this building. I need to offer it when I come in through the front door of my house at night. Where are the places in your life where your ambitions your anxieties, your compulsivities, the unique stuff that intertwines all that's beautiful and good about you, make you prone to treating other people as if they're just prosthetics, as if they're just extensions of you, uh, accessories to you. Where are those places in your life? And would it be helpful before you move through the doorway into those kinds of places if you could stop and offer a prayer? And pray, Lord, I know that you can see what's whirling inside of me, but I want to lay it on the altar of this threshold. I want to ask you to slow me down, Lord, quiet my spirit, give me wisdom as I enter this space.
so that I can advance your purposes, not mine. Would it be helpful for you if you could identify that doorway? Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's your home. And you paused at that threshold more. God sets these divine doorways before us in the course of our journey through life. There's the locker room door, the door of our house or of our place of employment or the door of the social activity we're moving into. And there is also what I would call finally the door of opportunity that it's important to pause at. Paul puts it like this in his words to the Colossians. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message. Pray that God will push open the door for the message to come through so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I might might proclaim it clearly. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. What Paul, I think, is reminding us is that every single week, maybe every day, we pause, we come across Um, a doorway that's not made so much of glass or wood or steel uh, as a doorway made of the stuff of holy potential. We find ourselves at the threshold of some moment in our weekly journey when when, uh, there's this opportunity put in front of us to advance the kingdom of God if we would simply move through that threshold with that particular intention in our minds, that we're in a place where God could actually bring about some significant transformation in the lives of other people if we had the wisdom to recognize the moment and the courage to actually act on it in in a focused kind of way. Uh, Paul Borthwick is a a noted uh, Christian missiologist, um, overseas missionary for many years. He's now a speaker that goes around and and uh, helps to encourage churches in their missional work. And he was speaking some time ago to a a church in New York City. He was addressing a a gathering of young executives, uh, mostly uh, Manhattanites, about their role in the world. And he was challenging them to consider the possibility that there was more opportunity for advancing the kingdom of God through their professional placements than perhaps they'd been considering. Uh, Maybe they had just thought, they were thinking that the life of Christianity was mainly about what happened in the church when when the life of Christianity is so much about what they can do in the world. Well, one of the young men who was listening to Paul was really shaken by what he said. And he he waited patiently for the line to die down. And he came up to Paul after the the gathering and he said, um, uh, Dr. Borthwick, I, I was really taken by what you had to say today. He said, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an executive with a, a clothing company. Uh, we, are, we are growing phenomenally right now. We're doing extremely well. Uh, what we have is this factory in Madagascar. And um, they can make uh, these very nice blue jeans there for a dollar a pair. And we can sell them for $400 on Fifth Avenue. And we've been doing that. And we've been making a killing. I visited the factory in Madagascar some time ago, he said. And I got to tell you, I was appalled by the conditions. I was really shaken 
by the way the workers there are living their lives. And, and as you were talking today, I'm, I just can't escape this feeling. This message is meant for me. That, that I need to seize the opportunity, the position that I have to try and advance God's purposes in some way in this situation. Well, the young man went away and, and, and that thought stayed with him and he, he contacted the head of the factory operations in, in Madagascar. And, and he said to the leader of the organization there, he said, how much would it cost if the factory started paying for the school fees of the people that work there uh, to make sure those kids go to school? And, and what if, what would it cost if we also helped them afford better housing than I saw and, and, and clean sanitation and, and better working condi- conditions? And, and what if we actually set some more reasonable working hours well, the person at the other end of the line was flustered by this. He says, this is, I'll have to look into this. This is out of the ordinary. I'm not sure that's a good idea, but I'll look into it. Well, he looked into it. A week later, they're back on the phone together, and the guy in Madagascar is saying to Paul, I don't think this is going to work out. I've, I've run the numbers. For us to do all of those things that you just described, that would jack up the price of the jeans to $4 a pair. And the young man's looking at the stack of, of samples in his office. He sees the $400 ticket on the jeans. And, and he says on the phone, I think I can authorize $4 a pair. I think we can manage that. And having stepped through that doorway of opportunity, God used him to change the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people profoundly in the direction of the kingdom of God. I wonder where you're going to be this week when that doorway is going to be in front of you. That extraordinary threshold of holy potential will be right there. You could turn the conversation towards the values and vision of the kingdom of God. You could move the ball down the field for God in a significant way. Maybe you'll be in a situation where you thought, you know, if I just name with grace, seasoned with a bit of salt here, the brutal fact that nobody in this circle is willing to confront, if I just did that, or or, or with this person that I'm in conversation with that I know is lost, I know they're living in denial, they're doing bad stuff, if I just had the courage in that moment to express the truth or at least pose a very probing question that might become the seed of transformation or you'll be in a situation where you thought to yourself you know if i if i just said out loud this desire i have for our relationship instead of just burying it further or if i just dared to ask for the order in this circumstance or if i just took a leap of faith toward this new adventure like i feel like god has been prompting me to do god and his kingdom might actually move through that threshold and fill up this space in a way that could be utterly life-changing for others maybe even for me every single day These divine doorways are there. They're going to be there. There's going to be that locker room door. 
or how you pause to prepare for what you're going to face on the field will matter. There's going to be the door of your house or your workplace or social engagements or how you pause and set your mind to treat the people you're going to encounter in the next space will count. And there will be these doorways of opportunity which if you move through them with courage can alter life in wonderful ways for people God cares about, including you. The big question is, when you get to the doorway, what will you do? Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks that you have declared your desire to share life with us. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and anyone who hears my voice and opens that door, I will come into and share life with them. If there's any one of us, Lord God, that have not opened that door, that supreme and most important door to you, to come in, to fill our life, Lord, that's the door that's most important for us today to pay attention to. But Lord, you know the other doorways that are waiting for us as we move from these seats. And we just ask for the clarity of vision, for the patience to approach those doorways with wisdom, with watchfulness and thankfulness. So that as we move through those thresholds, we might go forward onto the field of life in a way that honors you and advances your purposes in the lives of others. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.